0: Uh, Thelma and I got together uh, virtually because she's based in Fiji and I'm based in San Francisco to see what we could do in response to a lot of the climate, grief, despair, anxiety, doomism, particularly when it's based on bad frameworks about the nature of power, the nature of change, and bad facts. And so many people think we don't have the solutions, we don't know what to do, nobody cares, it's too late. Thus, the name, Not Too Late, that Thelma pulled out of one of our conversations. That's author Rebecca Solnit, speaking at a webinar organized by the Earth Institute at the Columbia Climate School. The webinar was called, Why There's No Too Late for Climate Action. And I'm Robert McLean, your host of Climate Conversations. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton in Northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people, I pay my respects to elders, past, present and emerging. The webinar is a live exploration of Not Too Late, which is a book of essays, a teaching guide and a wider project aimed at energising and empowering newcomers to the climate movement and people who are already engaged but weary. You'll find a link to the near 90 minute long webinar in the episode show notes. Before we go any further, I'd urge you to follow this podcast, because if you do that, every time I publish a new episode, you will be automatically alerted to that. So, please follow. Let's for a moment think about our health, our personal health, and the climate crisis. They are dreadfully intertwined. And an Australian group concerned about that is a body called Healthy Futures. And the one thing that Healthy Futures is really concerned about is the impact of gas in households. On the Healthy Futures website, you'll find a story about health workers for a healthy climate. The story says climate change is the number one threat to our health. Healthy Futures is a network of health professionals, students and community members taking climate action. Together we raise awareness of the health impacts of climate change and fossil fuels. We campaign for meaningful change and we take action to ensure all Australians can live with access to clean air, clean energy and a safe climate. You'll find a link to Healthy Futures in the episode show notes. Next we have a song from a story lifted from the Melbourne age. And the story is, Can a song really help to save the planet? These six artists hope so. The song is Vessel. It's written by Sean Curry, who lives in a straw bale house she built in Bannockburn, near Geelong in Victoria. She wrote the song Vessel, the way she writes all her songs, in a meditative state at a piano. This was in 2020 when she wrote the song. The weight of the fires, floods and pestilence was heavy in the air. Let's have a listen to the song now. Temperatures
1: rising, the conversation aren't hiding anymore. People are yearning for conversational learning, we know. Passion and purpose, knowledge of this earth. My voice just like a vessel
0: Now let's listen to a second song from that story, from the Melbourne Age, and this one is Golden Chains by Hazel Mai. According to the story, it's a finger-pointing song with a chain-gang rhythm and a clang guitar, spitting at greed in the face of floods and fire. A grim chorus about dying in golden chains is a fair leap from the elegant jazz pop of her other Spotify offerings. I needed to direct my frustration, anger somewhere, the Brisbane singer says. It did feel very raw, so I had to make the creative decision to be like, It's going to be different, but it's going to be there. Let's listen now to that song. Then the beginning is very quiet. That modern Age story in the episode's show notes. Let's shift now to a story from Edie where we can find out something about Net Zero and Carbon Neutral. The headline for the story is Net Zero or Carbon Neutral. What's the difference? To be truly carbon neutral, a company needs to reduce emissions from all sources as much as possible, then offset or actively remove the remainder. Net Zero used the same concept but at a larger scale aiming for emissions from all sources to be reduced as much as possible and the remainder mitigated through removals from the atmosphere. These could be through supporting natural systems which sequester carbon, that's forest, peat, wetlands, seagrass, etc., or through technology like carbon capture and storage and buried solid carbon sinks. A second story from Edie tells us that TikTok is to crack down on climate disinformation. And next we have a third story from EDI. The headline of that story is IKEA to launch hundreds of EV chargers to power last mile fleet. The story begins. The retailer will install a total of 196 charging points under the new project, of which 53 will be rapid. Rapid chargers will be able to provide full charge on all IKEA's EVs in an hour or less. The first of the charges are now in place at the IKEA store in Cardiff. Further installations at stores across the UK and Ireland are planned for the remainder of the UK, as well as the firm's new customer distribution centre in Dartford. This is due to open later this spring. IKEA has partnered with Strutcraft, subsidiary MIA, on the installation of the charging points and on their electricity supply. All electricity supplied to these charges will be from renewable sources. An opinion piece from the Melbourne Age by Stephen Bartholomew has the headline, Green Weapon, China Looks to Tighten Its Grip on the Future. Recent reports that China is considering banning exports of rare earth magnets and a technology to process and refine rare earth elements in response to the US effort to throttle China's access to advanced semiconductors adds another threat to the existing shortages of raw materials vital to decarbonisation. The reports... Based on draft amendments to China's list of restricted technology exports that would come into force this year are disconcerting given that China dominates production of rare earths. It has about a third of the world's reserves of rare earth elements, 85% of global processing capacity and closer to 90% of the manufacturing capacity for high strength rare earth magnets. And now we have a story from The Guardian that has the headline Beetaloo Basin Inquiry Calls for National Plan to Offset Vast Emissions Expected from Gas Projects. The story begins. An inquiry into major plans to exploit gas in the Northern Territory's Beetaloo Basin has recommended that the Federal Government commit to a national plan to offset the vast emissions the project is expected to release. The former Coalition Government made gas exploration in the Beetaloo Basin the central tenet of its plans for recovering from the COVID pandemic, using grants and tax breaks to incentivise gas corporates to begin work in the region. The basin covers about 28,000 square kilometres southeast of Catherine and is thought to contain huge reserves of shale gas. But environmentalists have warned that developing the gas resources in the region will unleash a carbon bomb and render Australia unable to meet its emission reductions targets. Next we have a story from Grist. The story is by Joseph Lee and it has the headline In the wake of historic storms, Maori leaders call for disaster relief and rights. The story begins. In February, Cyclone Gabriel hit New Zealand, bringing devastating floods and powerful winds, destroying homes, displacing thousands and killing at least 11 people. Prime Minister Chris Hipkins called it the most significant weather event New Zealand has seen in this century. Around 70% of destroyed homes were occupied by indigenous Maori. But Maori leaders say that they have been left out of recovery services and funding. And now from the New York Times, we have a story by Lisa Friedman. It has the headline, Biden to create White House Office of Environmental Justice. The story begins. It has the dateline, Washington. President Biden on Friday announced the creation of a White House Office of Environmental Justice. One of the several actions to address the unequal burden that people of colour carry from environmental hazards. Every federal agency must take into account environmental and health impacts on communities and work to prevent those negative impacts, Mr Biden told a crowd of applauding activists gathered at the Rose Garden Ceremony. Environmental justice will be the mission of the entire government. Mr Biden, who has indicated that he will run for re-election, used the opportunity to portray Republicans as extremists who support the fossil fuel industry, at the expense of public health and the planet. Now we have a story from Euronews Green. The story has the headline, Are Wind Routes a Threat to the Booming North Sea Wind Power Industry? The story begins. Several EU countries are implementing ambitious plans to turn the North Sea into a green energy powerhouse. But what will happen if global warming causes wind speeds to drop? Esbjerg in Denmark is the epicenter of Europe's offshore wind energy boom. Lying on the North Sea coast, the scale of what's happening to the port is truly epic. That's because the EU is not only pushing for renewables like wind, so it can deliver on its climate promises, but is also racing to win itself off Russian hydrocarbons. Next we have a story from the New Daily. The story is by Susan Bakken, by reporter Susan Becken, And the headline for that story is Fuel Efficiency Standards Will Get EV Sales On Track. The story begins. The government has finally unveiled its vision to accelerate Australia's transition to electric vehicles. The National Electric Vehicle Strategy, released on Wednesday, set Australia's goals to increase the uptake of electric vehicles, that's EVs, to meet the country's target of net-zero emissions by 2050. Central to these plans is a pledge to introduce a fuel efficiency standard, but the government is yet to reveal what that standard will look like. (music) Still on Electric Vehicles, we have a story from the conversation, and the story is written by the Professor of Future Urban Mobility at the Swinburne University of Technology, Hussain Dea. The story begins. Australia's first National Vehicle Strategy, released today, details the government's long-awaited plans to accelerate the adoption of these vehicles. Consultation on the strategy began last September. The climate change and Energy Minister Chris Bowen then promised the strategy would then make Australia a globally competitive market for electric vehicles. Households and businesses would have access to the best modern transport technology at affordable prices. But does the strategy live up to these expectations? Is it ambitious enough to meet the emission reduction targets and international commitments? And how far does it go to align Australia with the world best practice for the transition to electric vehicles? Next we have a story from the Melbourne Age by Angus Thompson. The headline for Angus's story is Cheaper loans announced for green renovations. The story begins Homeowners will score cheaper bank loans to pay for solar panels, electrification and other climate-friendly renovations after the federal government expanded an energy ratings tool to apply to existing houses. The NATHERS certificate, which gives an energy efficiency scorecard to new bills, will now apply to the rest of Australia's houses, enabling banks to issue green loans to homeowners. Next we have another story from The Conversation, and this one is by Michelle Burford. Michelle is a professor, the Australian Rivers Institute, and Dean of the Australian Infrastructure at Griffith University. Her story has the headline, Floods of Nutrients from Fertilisers and Waste Water Trash Our Rivers. Could Offsetting Help. Her story begins, The rivers running through the heart of Australia's major cities and towns are often carrying heavy loads of nutrients and sediments. This is a problem. While nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus are essential to life in small quantities, in large quantities they become destructive to river and ocean ecosystems. When rivers are pumped full of nutrients washing out from farms or from wastewater treatment, bacteria and algae numbers soar. We see the effects in dangerous blue-green algae blooms and in oxygen levels dropping so low that millions of fish can die, as we saw recently at Menindee, New South Wales. The final story for this episode is from Net Zero Australia. Net Zero Australia is a groundbreaking study from the University of Queensland, the University of Melbourne, Princeton University, An international management consultancy, NELS Group. And in this story, they released the final results from a groundbreaking study. You'll find a link in the episode show notes for all the details from that Net Zero Australia study. Well, thanks for hanging in. We've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. It's been wonderful to have you along. And please don't forget you'll find links to all those stories mentioned today in the episode show notes. And there's one other thing. I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me at number 7 at icloud.com. Yes, that's my email address. And please don't forget to follow this podcast because when you do that, you will be automatically notified every time a new episode is published. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with your friends. In fact, I'd love you to share with your friends because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis, how we should respond, what we should do, and what we should say to others. So, please share this. So, until we talk again, please take care.